again, it is good to see you this morning on Easter, Resurrection Sunday. I woke up this morning, and I remember growing up, and uh, the first thing I said, of course, I, I will admit, I get up earlier than my wife on Sundays. <laughs> on Sundays, I get up before her, and uh, uh, when she had opened up her eyes, I said, He is risen! And she just looked at me. No, she said, she said, he is risen indeed. I remember when I was a kid hearing pastors and ministers, they would always start out on Easter Sunday morning by saying, he is risen. And the congregation would say, he is risen indeed. And they would go back and forth and back and forth. And so I hope that you are excited that Jesus actually rose from that grave. Oh, man, what a wonderful Savior we serve. It's been awesome. Uh, this morning just to hear the songs and whatnot and over the past six weeks if you're joining us man again we're so excited that you're here we've been talking about the miracles of Jesus over the past six weeks and it's really been an amazing journey we've actually looked at only just a handful of his miracles from the gospel of John but it's been an amazing journey as we have been able to see how Jesus our Lord and Savior was involved in the affairs of of men and women all down through his earthly ministry. In fact, last week we finished by talking about how Jesus responds when you and I go through grief, when we face loss and we suffer, and yes, even when we face death. And certainly when you think about Easter, we, 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 we hear the word death, but we're also thankful that Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. He rose again, and so throughout our series, we've been using kind of the definition of a miracle from Merriam-Webster, and Merriam-Webster's definition says that a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs, and that's what Easter's all about. Look at the definition again. It was an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. That's, that's really when it all boils down to as we gather together, we celebrate the hope of Easter. And really, when you think about a miracle, it's a violation. It's a violation of natural law. Anybody ever have something take place in your life and you're like, man, that was a miracle? And people say, well, how do you know? And then you start to explain it. And it just doesn't make sense to most people. That's what a miracle is. It just doesn't make sense, right? We can try to explain it away, but it doesn't make sense. And so this morning as we've gathered, I kind of put it as a title. Really, the message really has no title. It's like, what are you going to title your message? I really don't know. But I guess we'll call this the greatest miracle of Jesus. And it's covered in every gospel account in the Word of God. And so I would say that the greatest miracle of Jesus could be encapsulated in one word. And the word that I would choose this morning is the word that you have seen as you've walked in this building. The word that I have already shared a couple of times with you, and I would say that word is hope. But let's be real honest. What does hope really look like? I mean, when we start thinking about it, what does the miracle of hope look like? Spiritually speaking, there's a big question whenever you come around any religion, any religious school of thought. And the big question has to be this. is like, hey... What does that religion, what does that belief system, what does that theology, what does that religious school of thought have to say or have to offer when it comes to death? 
See, if there's no, if there's no uh, uh, IE resurrection, if there's not something after this life, then guys, ladies and gentlemen, young people, life is pretty much meaningless, right? We live, we breathe, and then we're gone, right? And so that's why it's so important when we look at this big question concerning hope. You see, if there's no real solution, then we are men and women most miserable. To be honest, I, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago and I started trying to draft notes for another message that I was doing and I found myself like half of my mind was writing notes over here and half of my mind was writing here and I was thinking about that our culture today, not only in the Western Hemisphere, but predominantly in the Western Hemisphere, but all around the world, is, is promoting this agenda. And maybe you guys will identify with it. They're promoting this agenda of and, and it's really a belief system or a theology, if you please, of the here and now. Everywhere I look, everywhere I look, it's all about what I can get now, what I can have in about two seconds, right? Listen, I'm a big believer in uh, drive throughs right? Listen, I wish they had like, I mean, I know you can carry it out, but it wouldn't be the same thing. What if they had like an Outback Steakhouse drive through like pull up, yes, I'd like a ribeye and I'd like it hot right now, right? That would be awesome, but that doesn't happen. What? Ribeye? <laughs> ribeye? They do. They, well, they have carryout, yeah, but by the time you get it home in the styrofoam, it's just not the same, right? But we live in a society that tells us that we need to have more. We can go big. We can get better and, and have, you know, more of this, bigger of that or whatever it is, right? But here's the problem with that theology. The theology, see, there's nothing wrong with having more. There's nothing wrong with going big or going home. There's nothing wrong with sending our kids to better schools, have uh, bigger of this or better of that. The problem is when the world has cultivated this thought in our hearts and in our minds that says that's the end-all, be-all, right? When, when, when we're only focused on more, when we're only focused on bigger, when we're only focused on better, Problems start to rise. I can assure you I've tried this. <laughs> My wife will tell you I've tried the theology of more, bigger, and better. And you know what? I have found in, in almost 53 years of life, I found that I don't ever really experience real joy. I don't ever experience real peace because there's always something coming the next day. And I don't ever experience real hope. That's what Easter's all about. It's about hope. Listen, as far as I can see, the greatest miracle in Scripture. Now listen, I've done some homework. And as far as I can see, the greatest miracle that God ever did through Jesus Christ, His Son, is this miracle of hope. You see, God, He recognized that we all had a sin problem. He established a sin payment. And through Jesus Christ, He actually offered you and me and everyone all around the world a sin solution. Isn't that good? We had, a, we had a sin problem, it demanded a sin payment, and God says, you know what, you can't pay that, Chuck, you can't pay that, Yvonne, you can't pay that, Greg, so guess what, I'll do it for you. How awesome is our God? Oh, that's awesome. In other words, what God is saying to us this morning is that Jesus Christ is not only our hope for here and now, he's our only hope for the hereafter. He's not, only, he's not only good for right now, today, on April the 21st, 2019. And by the way, look at the world we're living in today. Do we need some hope? 
I mean, everybody's fussing and a feuding. Everybody's mad at this person, mad at that person. I'm so thankful that Jesus is not mad at us today. Oh, listen, the psalmist knew exactly where his hope was. In fact, in Psalm 71, verse number 5, the psalmist writes, For thou art my hope. O Lord God, in Psalm 119, 81, David, he says, Uphold me according to thy word that I may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope. David was a man after God's own heart and his hope was in the Lord. In Psalm 146, in verse number 5, notice what the Bible says. It says, Happy is he that hath God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Oh, man, you want some hope today, I can tell you where to find it. You won't find it in me. Listen, my wife might find a little itty-bitty ounce of hope every once in a while in me that I'll do some dishes or that I'll help out with the laundry or I'll vacuum the carpet. But real hope is not coming through me. Real hope is only going to be found in Jesus Christ. Oh, what a great, what a great thought. I was thinking about this also. As if I'm going to ask the big question about what comes after death, and I'm going to tell you guys that hope is only found in Jesus, we have to all remind ourselves that it's only because God, watch this, it's only because God loved us that we're able, even able to experience hope, right? The Bible, you've seen this in football stadiums hung up all over the place, for God so loved the world, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But what I want you to notice is verse number 17, because it's pretty important. See, and many times we stop at verse 16, but verse 17 encourages me, and it encourages us when we think about hope, because it says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but, that through the, but the world through Him might be saved. And so there was a purpose for Jesus' coming. And it all came and it all started because God loved you. And as crazy as it seems, he loved me too. He loved me and said, guess what? I'm going to send, you've got a problem, Greg. I'm going to send a solution for your problem. And he sent his only begotten son. You notice the Bible says in 1 John 4.10, it says here in his love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son. Notice this word. It says that he sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a big old word. And a lot of people are like, hey, what is a propitiation, right? If you say that 10 times, you'll get tongue-tied, right? Real fast, propitiation, propitiation, right? What does that mean? It means that God sent his son as our atonement. He sent his son to pay the penalty that you and I couldn't pay. That's what he did. Why did he do it? The verse tells us because he loved us. It's like I always say, God the Father sent and gave his son, Jesus Christ the Son came, died, and rose again to pay the penalty we owed, conquer physical death, overcome the grave, and that awful place called hell. What an amazing Savior we serve. Listen, obtaining hope is absolutely free. And there's no doubt in my once military mind that Jesus has communicated his love, his message of hope through his word. And I know a lot of people say, say, but the question most people ask is, well, you say he communicated it through his word. Can I trust his word? Now, you would expect 
me as the pastor of this church to say yes, right? You'd be like, yeah, that's what he's going to say. He's always going to say trust his word. But here's what I'm telling you today. Don't trust me. I guarantee you, you'll never go down here, down this highway or byway and find another pastor that says that. Don't trust me. I'm telling you, trust God. Trust God's word. See, you and I, we can lie to one another. And we struggle with that sometimes, don't we? We're all covered with the same flesh. So I'm telling you today, don't trust me. But I'm asking you and I'm begging you, you're here. Why not? Trust God and trust his word. Listen, the Apostle Paul, you say, well, how can we trust God's word? Well, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, notice what he says. He said, this is a faithful saying. That word faithful in the Greek means true. He said, here's the truth. I'm going to lay it out for you. He said, here's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That phrase, worthy of all acceptation, means that you and I can believe it. We can take a hold of it and we can believe it. So what does he say? He said, here's a true saying. Here's something that you can embrace, something that you can put to practice in your life. And here it is. He said that Christ Jesus came into the world. Oh, that's good news right there. He came to save sinners. That was his mission. He was sent from the Father with a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. Not to condemn, not to tear down. Listen, my job is not to tear anybody down. I do a pretty good job of taking care of myself. That's all I can do, right? We have to lift one another up. We have to encourage one another. Because there's one thing I know. And that's that life is short. Life is short. Last week I was commenting, in my message I was commenting that it had been 42 years ago, last Saturday, that my mother passed away. I was just a little boy. You see, I learned very early in life that there are no guarantees. My mom loved Jesus. My mom loved the Lord. And I wish I could tell you that I knew all the scriptures and I knew all that I needed to know them, but I didn't. I didn't. And so I did what a lot of people do when they lose loved ones. I got mad. I got angry. I started blaming God for my mom passing away. I started, started uh, acting out because of my hate towards my brothers and towards my dad and towards anybody who was trying to encourage us. But here's what I know. I learned a long time ago that life is short. And then as I got older, I found out. It's crazy, but I found out that God's word actually confirms that. The Bible told me and tells us all in Proverbs 27.1, it says, Boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In fact, James, James, what an encouragement. He takes it a step further, right? In James chapter 4 and verse number 14, he says that our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away, which is why I know that Moses, this is why Moses, I believe in Psalm 90, verse number 12, I believe why Moses, he prayed that prayer to God. He, said, he says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Oh, listen, God loves us and he has established some things in our life that we can know him and to, to believe in him and to trust in him. And today... You guys, if you're honest with me, we look around and we see so many religions and schools of religious thought that talk a lot about prosperity. They talk a lot about mind over matter. They talk a lot about a bunch of feel-good philosophies concerning the here and now. How I can be better here and now. But I'm telling you, without a solution for the hereafter, I'm in trouble. 
I can get all the help I want for the here and now. But guess what? When my life is over, if I've not received the proper spiritual care, if I've not received the help or the offering of God's love for the hereafter, I'm in trouble. And so that's why I share the gospel with you this morning. You see, God can be trusted. The Bible tells us in Numbers 23, 19 that God is not a liar. Titus 1, 2 teaches that God cannot even lie. See, it would go against his very nature to lie to you and me. I want to read one passage and then I close. In Luke 23, Travis read in Luke 24, but in Luke 23, here's the scene. They've led Jesus to the cross. They, or, or they've led him to uh, the hill uh, of Golgotha and, and he's carrying his cross at this point. And, and in fact, just before this, they get Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross because he's so mutilated and been beaten. And there's two thieves that are, that are hung on crosses on the left and on the right of Jesus. And, and it's almost like another insult, a double insult to hang these men beside Jesus. And notice what the Bible says. It says, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they were crucified. They crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right, the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, saying, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering, the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he says unto Jesus, watch this, this is so amazing. He says to Jesus, Lord, notice what he calls him. He says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amen. This guy, this guy, the second thief gets it. But here's the problem. Look at the scene. You got the people. By the way, these are the people who used to follow Jesus for fish and bread. These are the people who had followed him to get healed. These are the people who just less than a week ago had shouted Hosanna as he came into the city of Jerusalem. They now have a theology of the here and now. They want him dead. They want him out of their life. They're like, get rid of this guy. And they're screaming, crucify him. And alongside him are the rulers, the magistrates, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They're all there. And they're mocking Jesus. But not only the people had a theology of the here and now, but the soldiers did too. The soldiers who, the Roman soldiers were just doing their job. But the Bible says that they got in on the business too. They started chiming and insulting him and mocking him. In fact, they said, if you be the king of the Jews, they made fun of the title that was put over his head. And that first thief, the first thief who was receiving what he had earned through his, his, his deeds, 
He starts railing on him, but you notice the one thing he says? He says, if you be the Christ, how about you save yourself and us? See, what he wanted Jesus for was the here and now. He said, hey, I'm in a bad situation here. I'm not, I'm not sure I like this cross thing. So if you be uh, Jesus, if you be the Christ, how about you get yourself down and also take care of me? He didn't want Jesus to forgive him of his sin. He just wanted Jesus to get him off that cross. See, he had a theology of the here and now. But I can tell you this, how amazing is it that the other thief, after he came into contact with Jesus Christ, guys, here it is, his life was changed. See, his mind was made up that he was no longer in control of the here and now. He knew that his here and now was coming to a close. And he then says to Jesus, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says the most beautiful words to this man who had been condemned to death. This man who has now gotten rid of a theology of the here and now, a life of thievery, a life that said, I want what I want, I'll take it if I have to, I'll, I'll do whatever I have to get what I got to get, is now saying, Jesus, he's saying, Lord, I believe you are supreme in authority. He said, so when you come into your kingdom, you remember me. It's almost as when the thief says to the other thief, he says, don't you fear God? It's almost as if he's saying, hey, bro, in a few hours, we're going to stand before him. In a few hours, we're going to have to give an answer to him. Don't you fear God? And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Oh, listen, Proverbs 14, 32 says, The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Jeremiah 17, 7 Jeremiah, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 19, the Bible tells us that when you and I have Jesus as our high priest, that we have hope that's like an anchor for our soul. And when I have that anchor, listen, I may travel through the troublesome and, and treacherous seas of life. But when I have Jesus as an anchor, oh, he'll hold me steady. The Bible says he'll be hold you sure and steadfast, right? And so, man, I want to tell you today that you can trust in the hope of Jesus. Hope is, by the way, hope is not found in a church program. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, we, we offer a lot of programs. We've got children's ministry, middle school ministry, high school ministry, adult ministry, senior saint ministry. we got so many ministries, I'm going crazy with ministry. But I can tell you, a church program will never, ever change your life. But Jesus Christ will. Oh, listen, his message has always been clear. And his message has always been trustworthy. In John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. John 10, 9, he said, I'm the door. In John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. In John 14, 6, he told his disciples as he ate that last meal with them, he said, guys, I got something to tell you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And back in John chapter 11, verse number 25 and 26, if you don't get anything else today, get this verse. Jesus said to Martha, he's entering the town, and her brother is dead. He's been laying in a tomb for four days, and she comes to him and she says, Jesus, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He said, Martha, he said, there's no problem too big for me. He said, because I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked that big question that I have to ask everyone I come into contact with. Believest thou this? Do you believe, Martha? Do you believe that I'm not only your hope for here and now, but I'm your hope forever and ever and ever? Oh, listen, this is what Jesus said. You know, when performing miracles of healing, as I wrap this up, performing miracles of healing, Jesus used different methods, right? We saw that even in our study and the miracles of Jesus. But here's one thing I know. Whenever Jesus brought somebody from the dead back to life, the method was exactly the same. He calls to the dead person as if they could hear him. Think about that for a second. He called to Lazarus to come out of the tomb as if he could hear him, right? Behind the stone, he says, roll the stone away. Let's make it easier for our old boy to hear me. He calls, and those that were dead responded. That's the exact same way he takes people who are spiritually dead and brings them back to spiritual life. He calls, and the cool thing is you and I have the opportunity to respond. When Jesus calls, we can either say, Nah, no, nah, thank you. I'm, I got to go home. I got to eat some peeps today. I got like uh, uh, two boxes of peeps. I got some jelly beans. By the way, I got jelly beans too. I'm going to be munching on those things today. I get the sour ones. Mm. Mm. Can I tell you this? If I'm focused on my jelly beans too much, I forget to focus on Jesus. See, the opportunity is here for you and for me. This is exactly how Jesus calls people in a new life. Folks, the stone that covered the tomb. Think about it. The stone that was covering the tomb of Jesus Christ. When they came on Easter morn and that stone was rolled away, it wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out of that tomb. It was rolled away so that people like me and people like you could look in and see that the tomb was and the tomb still is empty. Oh, he offers the hope of Easter to each and every one of us. It's been said that heaven is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. And I pray and trust that you will respond to that wonderful gift of hope that Jesus offers to each and every one of us today. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, in verse 3, 4, and 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope. That means a living hope. How did he do it? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice what we get. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. I don't know what your spiritual circumstance is today, but I do know this. Jesus is offering everyone in this room forgiveness of sin right now, and it doesn't cost you a thing. 
because he already paid it all for our sin. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.